You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Hi, I'm Julie Broadway, president at the American Horse Council. And I'm Megan Arsman, marketing and communications specialist with the American Horse Council. And you are listening to the special monthly American Horse Council episode of Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for July 4th, 2023. Good morning, horse world, and happy 4th of July. It's time to hear from the American Horse Council in this monthly episode of Horses in the Morning. Well, Megan, I'm really excited about today's episode. Horse keeping is not an inexpensive proposition. And if an owner finds themselves in a challenging financial circumstance due to a job loss, a divorce, an injury, an illness, or countless other reasons, horse care costs can seem to be even more daunting. So fortunately, there's a lot of resources out there that can provide help for horse owners and horses as they work through these kind of navigate these bumps in the road. Um, But knowing where to find those are the real key to this. Um, There's a lot of ways you can help horses in need, and that's our theme for today. Um, But one great way is to volunteer at a rescue um, and help them out with your time and your talents or do something to help the rescue, like fundraise or make a donation, all all kinds of ways. So our our first uh, guest is from Days in Farm Horse Rescue, and you're going to meet her in just a few minutes. But that's going to be the first part of the segment. What goes on in the rescues and what, what can we do as a horse community to support them? But another way to help horses in need has to do with understanding the challenges of dealing with horses in need. Definitely. So we're definitely excited about Dr. Ste- uh, Stephanie uh, Boswell, who is the author of The Ultimate Guide for Horses in Need. So there's some great content coming out of that. And then last but certainly not least, one of the things to know is where to find access to some of the things that horse owners might need. So, of course, our great gal at the United Horse Coalition, Ashley Harkins, is going to come back. And in our third segment, we're going to hear from her about the Equine Resource Database and all the ways that horse owners can find access to the much-needed things that are out there, hay banks, feed coupons, vet assistance, and all those kinds of things. A great lineup today, Megan. Yeah, definitely. I'm I'm excited. And, you know, of being part of the American Horse Council, I've learned so much more about the United Horse Coalition and what that does. And, um, you know, Ashley is very passionate about helping horses and horse owners. And I think it's definitely a unfortunately well-kept secret. And we hope that this will totally bust that secret out in the open and and uh, help a lot more horse owners and, and uh, nonprofits down the road. Great. So, Let's let's segue to our first guest. Our first guest to join us is Brittany Vallo from Days End Farm. Brittany started with Days End Farm as a teenage volunteer. After graduating from the University of Maryland with a bachelor's degree, she joined the Days End Farm horse rescue staff as assistant farm manager in 2006. Throughout her time at Days End, she has held positions such as farm manager, equine health director, and she is now operations manager. 
Brittany helped to pilot a safety net program for Maryland's horses, the Maryland Equine Transition Service, or METS, under the Maryland Horse Council Foundation. As a founding member of METS, she spearheaded initial program development, implementation, and operations, and duties included assisting owners who were no longer able to keep their horses by offering counseling in the form of in-person equine assessments throughout the state of Maryland, marketing those horses, vetting rehoming applications, and providing owners with the feedback and resources they needed to responsibly transition their horses. That program is now a part of the Days and Horse Farms Rescues program. Established in 1989 by Kathleen Schwartz Howe and her husband, Alan Schwartz, Days and Farm Horse Rescue began with Kathy's own journey of rehabilitating an abandoned buckskin gelding named Toby. Through community support of friends and equine professionals, Kathy nursed Toby back to health and inspired a collective idea that equine welfare was a community's responsibility to both aid and prevent. I love that. Days End has since evolved from a small nonprofit to a full-scale rescue and rehabilitation facility that shelters an average of 130 equines a year, all funneled through animal protection authorities across Maryland and surrounding states. Days End is a national leader in equine in the re, equine rehabilitation practices and equine cru, cruelty in education. From 2018 to 2021, Days End served as the fiscal sponsor and program support for METS, a safety net program that we learned about. In that February 2022, Days End absorbed the METS program from the Maryland Horse Council Foundation, and it continues to be a support for horse owners to make safe and responsible decisions for their horses in transition. And Days End Farm Horse Rescue was the inaugural winner of the United Horse Council's Unity Award that was presented earlier in June at our at our award ceremony during the National Issues Forum. So congratulations, Brittany, and welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Brittany, why don't you start off for the uh, listeners that aren't familiar with Days in Farm. Tell us a little bit about what you guys do, what your mission is, what's your overall vision and, and goals and objectives for the organization. Well, what Days End is probably most known for is our efforts with um, assisting local law enforcement and animal control agencies with bringing in horses uh, from abuse and neglect situations, providing critical care, rehabilitation, and also serving as expert witnesses in court um, if if there are legal proceedings with cases that come in. So uh, we're known for that, but in conjunction with that, we're we're very uh, focused on increasing education and community outreach as well. Um, the rehabilitation that happens is kind of the um, the, the post process. It's, it's after abuse or neglect or, or unsafe situations have happened to horses, but we want to focus just as much on preventing those issues from happening in the first place. So we offer a lot of education and outreach into the community to try to do that. Wow, that's a lot to cover. So tell me, Brittany, um, where do you guys get your funding from? Because, I mean, that just sounds like an enormous task that you guys yeah. have. Yeah, it is. It is. We are very fortunate to have a great uh, support system of, of donations. Um, much of what comes in and, and supports the work that we do here is through private donations and private donors. Um, we do also get grant funding. 
Um, and uh, that's it, you know, just the support of, of those who want to back what we do and want to see it, the, our efforts continue. Well, that also sounds like you must have a tremendous amount of volunteers that come forward to donate their time and their talents to make all this happen. Yeah, there's no way we could do what we do without our volunteers. We do have a uh, a small uh, group of staff, but um, you know our volunteers are really what enable us to go above and beyond and do everything we do here um, across the board from down in the barn, taking care of the horses on a regular basis to helping us with education, field trips, um, even to office and administrative tasks, keeping the facilities up and running. So um, we are very grateful for our volunteers. And definitely it's it's the volunteers that make things go around. And you guys have such a unique, um, you offer such a unique niche in having to in helping to work with owners of at risk or even in in transition horses instead of just taking them in or accepting them and that's what i love is that you guys focus a lot on the education you focus a lot on helping find the resources a lot like what we do with the united horse coalition so Brittany, tell me a little bit um how does dayzen work along with the owners of at risk or in transition horses um <clears throat> We uh, we work anywhere from, you know, if they email or give us a call, we're, we're providing them with feedback, uh, resources that can help them. Um, sometimes the owners call and we find that they don't want to rehome their horses. They don't want to necessarily let them go. So we're referring a lot to other programs who may assist uh, with enabling them to keep their horses getting over a rough patch that they may mm-hmm. have fallen into. Um, but if they are looking to rehome, then we um, offer them either uh, referring out-of-state owners to other resources that may help, or if they uh, if the horses reside in Maryland, then we're directly assisting those owners um, and uh, visiting with them, um, assessing their situation and their horses so that we can provide them with the uh, most suitable form of assistance, typically in the form of rehoming them directly. So Brittany, tell me, because I I think I heard this somewhere along the way, if you get a phone call from someone and and they're really feeling that they can no longer keep their horse, you got to send a team out to assess the horse, determine what its next career potential might be, sort of next steps. Talk a little bit about that process, because I'm fascinated at what it must take to find the people with the right skills in order to do that kind of an assessment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, currently that is me. <laughs> so it, it's uh, it's quite the undertaking. Um, but yeah, it's uh, going out. We we actually ask for um, information ahead of time to give us kind of a a rough idea of what's going on with the horse and and what they currently require. And then the point of going out and seeing them in person is to beef that information up a little bit to give us as much info as we can and insight into. Um, the horse, their situation, what they, what their condition is, what they're able to do, so that when we do go and and list them, we've got as much information as we can possibly provide, um, because we want to make sure that those who are considering the horse are informed, fully informed, so that you know our our hope is that we're making we're helping to make the right match, so that they can 
find themselves in a home where they're going to stay. They're prepared to take that horse on. A lot of times the horses that come into the program are, you know, maybe senior or have some special needs or special care that they require. And we want to make sure that the the potential new owners are informed about that so that they're prepared to take them. So we're going and, and um, you know, checking the horse over head to toe, picking up all four feet, looking at the joints, um, watching them go, um, if they can go under saddle, you know, having the owner put them through their paces so we can observe and uh, and see how they do. And while we're doing that, we're taking photos and videos um, that we are using for um, their listing on um, our website and, and social media. So it's it's a pretty in-depth assessment and it's all uh, and and you get a lot of insight from owners when you just have an in-person conversation with them casual um, and they're providing you with a lot of history on their horse and things that you wouldn't necessarily get through simply a form. Uh, yeah, I bet for sure. Yeah. Mm. And I think it's important to to point out that you're not judging the owner in any way. You understand that sometimes things just happen and you're there to offer a helping hand. You're not there to offer any opinion or anything. You're there to help them. Absolutely. And and we we want our program to be known for that. We don't want owners to, you know, shy away from reaching out for help because they're worried about being judged. Mm-hmm. Our main goal is to help their horses and make sure their horses stay safe. So we're going to offer that support um, in a very non-judgmental uh, way, an understanding, compassionate way, um, so that the the owners feel safe reaching out and continue to feel safe using our support through the whole process. We want them to ask questions, lean on us for feedback or advice throughout the entire process. Mm-hmm. Um, and we we want our program to be known for that so that owners don't hesitate to reach out. I'm looking at this next question we had, Brittany, and I'm already anticipating the answer because the question is, what's the hardest aspect of what you do? And I can already in my head think of 25 things that (laughs) would be the hardest aspect of what you do. But tell me in your own words, what's, what's the hardest part? Probably the hardest part, I think, across the board, no matter whether you're looking at our METS program or, or anything else we do with our horses, is just not being able to help all of them. You know, um, that can be that can be uh, difficult. Um, so I would say that's probably number one. Uh, one thing that can be, I wouldn't say the hardest, but it is difficult, is is having those harder conversations with owners as well about, you know, decisions that you know they probably don't want to have to make but maybe no deep down they do um and and having to navigate that that's not a pleasant conversation for anybody to ever have to have um so that can that can be difficult as well but it needs to the conversation needs to be had yeah brave you brave you <laughs> <laughs> definitely um, so Brittany Dazen was awarded, like you said, the first United Horse Coalition's Unity Award uh, earlier in June. Share how working with the United Horse Coalition has helped Dazen connect with owners, potential adoptees, and have, has most importantly helped the horses. Really, I mean, with anything that we do here, it's making connections, um, being able to form relationships with uh, within the United Horse Coalition um, and American Horse Council, 
Um, just the professionals, the networking, the being able to work together and collaborate is really um, helpful. You know, you, you never know what kind of opportunities are going to arise through conversation and relationships that are built and created. Um, so uh, I think that that is, you know, really what has helped tremendously. Mm-hmm. Oh, great. Glad to hear that. Yeah. So if there's out, somebody out there listening today, Brittany, um, that wants to call and pick your brain, Tell them how to reach you. What's the way to get in touch and and leverage the knowledge and the experience that you've had at Days In? Yeah, I can be reached uh, by phone or email. Um, my the phone number here is 301-854-5037. And I am at extension 1011. Um, and then my email for the METS program is METS at DEFHR.org. So uh, basically the abbreviation for Maryland Equine Transition Service at daysendfarmhorserescue.org. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent. Okay, Megan, you got any follow-up questions for Brittany or Brittany, anything else you want to share with our listeners? I just want to, you know, extend my appreciation for being invited to to help us spread the word about the program that we're offering. Um, you know, as much as we can get the word out there that we're here and we're here to help, um, even if it's not a horse in Maryland, you know, anybody can give us a call and we will provide whatever resources, advice, feedback we can to any owners. Um, we want to help as much as possible and and be a support system. So, um, so I want to just extend my, my gratitude to you all for the invite and, uh, and also extend the invite to anybody listening that, um, you know, if you need help, don't hesitate to reach out. Definitely. Thank you so much for your time, Brittany. We know you've got a lot on your plate. So for you to spend this time with us means a lot. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's time. The 2023 Equine Economic Impact Study is now live. Help the horse industry by doing your part in participating. Help fight for green space and public lands. Help pinpoint areas of growth in the industry to foster while identifying the gaps that need attention. Help strengthen and protect America's horse industry for years to come. Participate now in the 2023 American Horse Council's Economic Impact Study through September 29th. So we're back for our second segment. This is Julie Broadway, president at the American Horse Council again. And we're so delighted to have Dr. Stacy Boswell. Um, she has written a book called The Ultimate Guide for Horses in Need. So let me tell you a little bit about her. And I'm very impressed that she could find five minutes to spend with us today because her <laughs> bio is quite extensive. Uh, she's a board certified large animal surgeon with a strong interest in behavior and welfare of horses. And her goal is to make horses' lives better through both physical and mental well-being. She's a graduate of the Virginia Maryland College of Veterinary Medicine and completed an internship at North Carolina State University. Go Wolfpack! Um, from there, she was a postdoctoral research associate in the Comparative Orthopedic Laboratory at Cornell University and then completed a large animal surgery residency at the University of Tennessee before moving into private practice where she's currently in Montana. She serves on the AAEP, the American Association of Equine Practitioners Welfare and Public Policy Advisory Council, 
And she's the author, as I said, of the book, The Ultimate Guide for Horses in Need, Care, Training, and Rehabilitation for Rescues, Purchases, and Adoptions. She's also a collaborative author for Equine Fear Free. Now, Fear Free's mission is to alleviate fear, anxiety, and stress in animals by inspiring and educating people who care for them. Training horses and other equines to accept handling for veterinary injections and procedures is important, and it's key for the success of medical treatment. She's a lifetime member of the American Quarter Horse Association and the American Paint Horse Association, and she has shown horses at the National Reining Horse Association and the USA Working Equitation. She and her husband have been members of Backcountry Horsemen of America since 2014. So she checks a lot of boxes, folks. So Dr. Stacy, we are so delighted to have you. Why don't you begin by telling us what was the impetus behind creating this book, The Ultimate Guide for Horses in Need? Yeah, thank you so much for having me today. So as you uh we're talking about, I have lived in, actually I've lived and practiced in nine states. My husband and I have moved around and the majority of that, those moves have been for my veterinary training. And um, through that, I have seen many horses in many areas of the country that are in tough situations, horses that are neglected or unwanted or in tough situations. And to put some perspective on that right now, the horse market is really, really good. It's hard to find good horses. There's more homes than they are horses almost, it feels like up here anyway. Um, But when I graduated from veterinary school in 2009, there were only five jobs available for equine practitioners and there were far more horses than homes. And so through the next few years, as I was in my early stages of training after graduation, I really saw a lot of horses in a lot of different areas that had a hard time. And there were some common themes in that. And so I was able to use the information that I've learned, compile it and document it in a way that in the book, I address all of the medical needs, but I also address all of the mental health care needs because a lot of times those things go hand in hand. So if you can't touch a horse, it's really hard to treat the horse. And so we talk about some things like that in the book. Um, So just getting those two things together, both the mental well-being of the horse and the physical well-being of the horse and having it go through in a step-by-step. But that's where I started is just watching these horses in different areas of the country that all seem to come with a similar set of issues. That's crazy. It's amazing what 15 years can do for changing in the, in the numbers, as you were saying, you know, only four, you know, only four equine veterinarian jobs. And now that's, you know, totally flipped over. So I love that you've used your experience in this. This sounds like an awesome book that would be great for anybody that works in rescues or sanctuaries for sure. For sure. And actually, honestly, I've had feedback from clients that there's just good general horse horse health care in there. And mm-hmm. it's it's just laid out in what I feel like is a very organized way. Um, and just really nice information to really help people through common issues. So even if you're not a person that rescues horses, um, there's good information there for caring for the horses that you currently have. That's great. That, make, that makes sense. And it also seems to me that if people are out there and they're thinking about um, adopting a horse, that there might be some good resources that they could draw from this as they evaluate a horse that they might want to be taking on. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Dr. Stacy, a hot topic lately has been circling around Kilpin buyouts. Uh, have you seen an increase in owners purchasing from Kilpins or auction or or you know those type of auctions? And if so, you know what are what are some of the things that you have have offered to those to those potential owners that are looking to do that? Sure. So, um, I don't know if Kilpin buyouts are increased um, in numbers. I don't know what those statistics are, but they certainly have more visibility right now. So because of Facebook and social media, it's it's a popular thing um, or it's a common thing, I guess, for people to be pooling their money and resources together to try to pull horses out of kill pins. There is, just like everything, a huge spectrum in that. Um, there's been conversations um, that I've had with other equine practitioners about, um, for example, thoroughbreds that have a microchip implanted mm -hmm. um, because the jockey club requires that now. But there's not traceability for how many horses and or how many owners that horse has go gone through. And so then the horse may end up in an auction and the original microchip number is traced back to the original owner and those owners get called and called out and harassed a little bit. And so that, that, that's not a great thing. Mm -mm. Um, and I've also seen some of those, some of those quote unquote kill pen sellers that certainly seem to be able to work the system to their advantage, let's say. Um, and, and then at the same time, I've seen individuals, I have one client up here in Montana. Um, she started a Facebook group to help advertise the horses that go through the local loose sale. That way, you know, circumstances and information can be exchanged about the horse so that they can find a better fit. Um, she buys horses herself and she rehabilitates them and she rehomes them and she does a really nice job. And so there's lots of people that are doing a really nice job and helping horses too. I think the visibility has really made it a hot topic for sure. And just like everything, I think it's really hard to pass judgment on the situation as a blanket. I think every single individual purchase and sale is probably different circumstances and understanding that helps us figure out where each of us can fit into that, to that whole, whole system. Yeah. I was just going to add uh, often, Dr. Stacy, uh, we have people that contact us because they've seen something on social media that looks too good to be true. And they're wondering, you know, if they're going to get this great horse for a bargain price kind of, kind of thing. And we, we always caution them to be very, 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 um, ask a lot of questions, be very thoughtful about this, because if it sounds too good to be true, typically it is. It, is. <laughs> it probably is. Absolutely. Yeah. It's really tough because I see the videos that are posted and there's some common themes with auctions where the horse is more likely to be a crypt orchid, for example, a stallion with a testicle that's retained, or a horse that's more likely to have a lameness issue, or a horse that has a chronic wound. Chronic wounds are really common um, in these situations. And it's, yeah, it's, it's really buyer beware for sure. But then there are horses that come out of those situations. And yeah, that horse had a chronic wound, but that's because there was still a piece of metal in there. And once we took an x-ray and took it out, the horse went on and did great. And it's just, you have to go in knowing that there's a big risk to it. And like the gal that's up here that does all these, she has brought horses straight to me from the auction and said, please put this horse 
out of its misery. It's really suffering. This is not fair to the horse. And you have to know that might be where you end up. And that honestly, in some cases, might be the most fair thing for that for that horse. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, but yeah. Um, well, ta- speaking about when somebody, you know, they, they get a horse from whatever circumstances it might be, what are some of the most common medical or behavioral challenges that, that they should expect to see and they should sort of be planning for? Because a lot of times it's not just purchasing the horse. Now you've got the horse and you've, you've got to do some rehabilitation and you've got to do some other things. And so they need to have the means to do to handle those issues. Sure. Yeah. So it, buying a healthy horse is probably cheaper than buying that bargain horse because of the way that medical bills can really stack up on these cases. The number one thing that I wish that people would understand and look for is pregnancies. The number of surprise, I bought an auction horse in the fall and look, she fold out a baby this morning and we didn't even know she was pregnant. Those <laughs> stories are rampant. And wow. <laughs> a lot of times it goes better than you think because the resiliency of horses is really amazing. But I really wish that there was more planning because it, when it doesn't go as it should, it seems like such a simple thing to diagnose and monitor so that we have the right care for that for that mare. So that's the number one thing. It's not necessarily the most common, but to me, that's the easiest thing to like check and address. And I even have had a case of a horse that got pregnant at the auction. So like this is this is this happens, and we really need to you know plan for that. Um, obviously malnutrition is a big situation as well. And it's hard to know, especially if you're looking at a loose pin, is this horse a body condition score one or two because it's 28 years old, its teeth are not adequate and it wasn't being offered appropriate food. Um, or is this horse really skinny because it's three years old and it had to compete with 2,700 horses for one round bale, you know, like it's just really hard Mm -hmm. to know what the cause was. And so expecting that you can buy a skinny horse and then refeed it. Um, there's, there's parts of that, that you have to know, well, if it is an older horse, we are going to need to change its food. They can't eat hay anymore. So we need to feed it something else. Um, and you have to know when you bring it home, you can't just put it in front of a bunch of grass and grain and think it's going to go. Okay. Because that can actually make them really, really sick if we don't go with a proper refeeding program and take things slow. So, the the malnutrition situation I think is more common. Um, and and again, this is the book is there. Like it's so easy just to go through it and like ABC, here's what you do. Um, but there's a lot of steps. There's a lot of steps in getting a horse rehabilitated for sure. Mm, yeah, no, no doubt about it. Um, you know, at our annual conference just a few weeks ago, we heard a fascinating presentation on the importance of um biosecurity. And so my follow-up question is. A lot of people just when they they adopt a horse or whatever the circumstances are, they just take it into the barn with the, everybody else they've got mm-hmm. there. Why is quarantining such a big deal? Why is that so important for the overall health of everybody that's in your little herd? Right. So quarantine is super important. Um, and I think people are better about this now than they were 15 or 20 years ago. I really do. Um but I, I advocate for quarantine. The main reason that we talk about it is because of respiratory illness. So any horse that's gone through any auction or gone to any show um, has a chance of picking up a respiratory illness. And when you're buying these horses out of the quote unquote kill pen, um, a lot of times we don't know what their vaccines have been, if any. And so that even if they don't look sick, 
sometimes two or three days later, all of a sudden it's apparent they are sick. And so you get herpes virus or you get rhinovirus or you get strangles or what have you. And then that spreads to everybody, even if your horses are vaccinated. So that's number one. Secondarily, especially here in Montana or the northern parts of the country um, through the winter months or through the cooler months, lice and mites are really common and those can spread through your whole herd. So you want to make sure that that horse doesn't have any respiratory diseases, doesn't have any external parasites that spread easily. I advocate making sure that we've done fecals or deworming or both appropriately as advised by your veterinarian before this horse goes out on your pasture. You don't want to contaminate your pasture with more um, parasites that that horse might bring in. Um, And then the final thing really is behavior. So if you bring home a horse that's a body condition score three and it doesn't feel great, you might have a completely different personality when it's a body condition score five or six and it's three months down the road. And so you really want to make sure, number one, what is your herd like? Does this horse fit into your herd socially? Can you catch this horse once you turn it out? Um, What are your expectations of this horse behaviorally and making sure that the horses aren't going to jostle and hurt each other? So that slow introduction is really important for preventing injuries and other problems as well. So, so those are all the reasons that I, that I advocate quarantine. Um, and that's super important for, for both physical and mental well-being of these horses. And if you think about what these horses have been through, sometimes these horses have bounced through four, five, six owners in the last, you know, six months to a year. And that's a lot for a horse to manage mentally. So getting them settled in your situation, um, can really help have a better, long-term outcome and better, better for them from like a well-being standpoint. It definitely takes a village to, to save and rescue horses for sure, whether and it's not just financially, but in every other realm and aspect. And it sounds like um, your book definitely covers everything for that, which is a wonderful hand guide to have. So tell us where our listeners can go to purchase the book. Can we Google it on Amazon or whatever and, and purchase it there? I think Trafalgar Square Books um, is, is offering it. And um, just a quick plug, if you're out there and you're listening and you take the National Economic Impact Study that we're doing right now, you automatically at the end get a coupon code for a discount from Trafalgar Books. So go buy Dr. Stacy's book with your discount out there. But tell us where all you can find the book. Perfect. So yes, absolutely. If you go to horseandriderbooks.com, that is Trafalgar Square um, equine section of books. They do more equine books than any other publisher in in the US and I think probably the world. Um, So they have a wide selection. They carry mine and a lot of other really good authors with a wide range of equestrian topics. All of the books are high quality color printed with like pictures. Um, I mean, they're really a fabulous publisher and that's why I started out there when I was in the process of writing, and I'm so happy to have worked with them. Um, So again, horseandriderbooks.com. You can also go to my website, Stacey Boswell. So that's S-T-A-C-I-E-B-O-S-W-E-L-L.com. And it's available for purchase there. It is carried on Amazon, um, but I will tell you guys that Amazon, um, they take a big cut um, from, from that. So if you're going to buy any of those equestrian books through Trafalgar, that is much better to to support all of the authors, 
um, as far as getting, you know, more books, more information out there and really supporting the people that have put the work in. For sure. Definitely. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Stacy. Do you have anything else that you would, that you would like to share with our listeners? No, I really, really appreciate you guys having me on the show today. And I hope everybody's horses always stay healthy and happy. Oh, thank you. Have a great day. Thanks, Dr. Stacy. Thanks, Stacy. So our third segment for this episode is with Ashley Harkins, the director of the United Horse Coalition. So let me sort of set the stage. There are 7.2 million horses in the U.S. There are 2 million owners in the U.S. That means that somewhere, somebody is going to need some help. And that's what the United Horse Coalition is all about. Ashley Harkins is the current director of the United Horse Coalition, which is a coalition of industry and nonprofit organizations who have come together in their dedication to promoting responsible horse ownership and helping America's horses that are at risk or in transition. She completed her Bachelor of Science in Pre-Veterinary Science at the University of Vermont with a particular interest in equine science. Before coming to the United Horse Coalition, Ashley managed the Horse and Livestock Rehabilitation Program for the Animal Rescue League of Boston's Dedham branch for 14 years, as well as serving as the local certified animal control officer, which included working with law enforcement cases involving neglect and abuse. Seeing those equines in need impressed upon her the importance of the United Horse Coalition's mission and the incredible work that it does to help owners of at-risk horses and educating people about responsible horse ownership. She currently spends her her, her free time with three geldings, two of whom are adopted and who are now instilling a love of horses in her children and her horse, I'll call him an enthusiast husband. <laughs> <laughs> and Ashley, we just heard Dr. Boswell talking about adopting a horse. And I know you adopted a horse recently. Tell me how that's going. How long has he been there now? And has he integrated into your little herd? Oh my gosh. He is such a gem. I have never had a pony before. Um, We actually went all the way to West Virginia to adopt this little guy because he uh, ended up just being a a good match for our family. And we were looking for a pony for the kids because my geldings are a little bit intimidating um, size-wise for them. And he has just been amazing. I've I've never had a, a a horse with such personality and he keeps us on our toes and, and laughing every day. Um, but he's integrated perfectly. He's, it's just been a great experience for us. Oh, well, ponies do that. Ponies do that <laughs> definitely with yeah. the personality thing. Yeah, oh gosh. Pers- yeah. Every day so, he has some funny antic. I'm sure I am no doubt about that. <laughs> so Ashley talk to us about the big push that uh, the United Horse Coalition has to offer resources to owners that find themselves in these unfortunate circumstances and they're looking around saying, I'd like to keep my horse, but I don't know how to do it. I don't know where to find the things that I need. So talk a little bit about that equine resource database. Yeah. So UHC is very proud to be the home of the UHC's equine resource database. And what the database is, is it it basically, we call it a database, but it sort of acts like a directory of about uh, 1,200 rescues, sanctuaries. We have municipal facilities in there um, and direct placement programs, basically really anything that offers a type of assistance um, within the, the USA 
to help owners keep their horses at home or provide resources um, to help prevent their horse from becoming at risk. And we're actually in the middle of an audit right now. We try to audit this database uh, on a yearly basis just to add new resources in there and remove any that that might have dropped off. Um, one of the things that we like to note in this database, we, we also include things like uh, hay and feed programs, castration assistance. There's there's even programs to help with owners if they decide that um, you know they need to euthanize their horse and help them with the aftercare and the remains. Um, because I know that that oftentimes um, financial reasons can be a big barrier to to um, making that type of decision. There's also things like behavior and training resources out there. Um, I know Stacy had touched upon that a little bit about when people are acquiring a new horse that sometimes um, you see these behavior issues pop up. So we want to help owners with that and, and get them resources in that area as well. Um, and really just any anything we've identified that can be an asset to helping uh, horse owners who might have horses that are are in jeopardy of becoming at risk. Well, I know one of our real objectives is to try to help owners keep their horses. There's, um, You can help me with the statistics, Ashley, because I'm doing this mm -hmm. off the top of my head. But there's about a thousand rescues and sanctuaries out there. And there's probably at any given point in time, 40 to 50,000 horses in those rescues and sanctuaries. And we don't have a whole lot of like excess capacity. So the more that people can can find these resources and can keep horses at home, the better. You want to add anything to that? Because that's, yeah. that's really the story. So one of the things that we identified through the Equine Welfare Data Collective, which is a, a program of the United Horse Coalition, um, when we surveyed the organizations that are part of the, that participate in the EWDC, um, one of the values that was sort of striking that we came across was that about upwards of 75% of horses that are coming into these rescues are coming in for reasons having to do um, with the owner. So this can be anything from the, the owner's health, uh, owner's financial circumstances changed, but also law enforcement confiscations. Um, so when you look at that number, um, one of the things that we can address, you know, and sort of get ahead of the the problem of, of um, stemming the tide, if you will, of these horses ending up in rescues and, and helping alleviate that a little bit is addressing the problem, the issues at the source. And that's trying to help these owners troubleshoot ways that they can keep their horse at home. So a lot of, of um, the help that we provide is, is through uh, short-term relief. So sometimes they've, you know, it's a matter of they've just lost their job and they need a little leg up for a couple of months in the, in the way of uh, hay and feed banks. Uh, sometimes it can be, you know, a, a medical emergency that has happened to the horse. And, and um, there's a wonderful resource called Vet Direct that can help with that. Um, but even, you know, starting to get owners to think proactively. So always in the back of their mind, we we try to get people to think about, you know, what would happen to your horse if something was to happen to you today? Well, if you lost your job or you ended up in the hospital, um, what are some steps that you can take in advance to make sure that your horse doesn't end up in a situation where they're going to become at risk or, or have to enter the um the shelter pipeline. Um, we also talk about estate planning. So that's a that's a big educational component of what we do with the United Horse Coalition um, and helping owners to, to sort of set that up for, for their horse. Oh, great. So tell everybody the website address and how they can reach you 
via email or what other mechanisms, uh, follow you on Facebook, whatever that might be, <laughs> so they can learn all about what, what's offered out there. Absolutely. We have upped our social media game with the help of Megan. So uh, we have a Facebook account uh, that's United Horse Coalition, uh, Instagram account. We also, our website is where we house the equine resource database, and that is www.unitedhorsecoalition.org. Um, or you can email us at any time. It's uhc at horsecouncil.org. Great. Thank you, Ashley, for joining us today. We really appreciate it. And hopefully all the listeners have, have gotten a takeaway from hearing the three presentations today, something that's going to be um, useful to them going forward. Thanks for having me. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. I know I definitely learned a lot, and I know Julie did, and I hope everybody had some sort of takeaway in helping horses, not only in need, but your own horse in your backyard. If you're interested in learning more about Days and Farm Horse Rescue or Dr. Stacy's book, The Ultimate Guide for Horses in Need, take a look at the links in our show notes below or look them up online. We encourage you to follow the American Horse Council on social media and look into becoming a member to help support your beloved industry locally and nationally. Thanks, Megan. And you can subscribe to Horses in the Morning on any podcast player and find all the shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. And as we love to say, hashtag here for horses. Here's what we do, folks. Reach out to us if you have questions or there's anything that we can help you with. <laughs>